Section 18 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Proceedings of the International Geographic Conference in Chicago, July 27-28, 1893. Memoirs and Addresses. The Relation of Geography to History by Francis W. Parker. Geography is the science of the present appearance of the Earth's surface. Geology is the history of the present appearance of the Earth's surface, the record of the countless changes which have led to the present phase of geology or geography. Mineralogy is the science of the rock material which has undergone countless changes. Physics and chemistry are the sciences of the laws of change in the crust of the Earth as well as in air and water generally. Meteorology is the study of heat acting through air and moisture, changing the Earth's surface, producing and sustaining life. Geography, with its kindred sciences of inorganic matter here named, may be called the science of the physical basis of life, since it deals with the environment, the support and the nourishment of life. It is therefore the interpretation of life. The modern geologist, who reads as an open book the present surface of the earth in all its varied forms, traces there the significance of each characteristic area. In other words, the present surface forms of the earth are the visible revelation of its geologic history. Thus each particular form has its profound significance. It is to him the manifestation of all the changes that the earth has undergone by the action of forces through matter under law. But there is still a higher and more important significance of surface forms that may be called functional. Geography has been defined as the physical basis of life. Life in its multiplicity of organisms can best be studied by understanding the influence of structural and meteorological environment upon it. Ethnology and history are the sciences or philosophies, if you please, of the evolution of the human soul from the beginning. When the written record fails, then suppositions must fall back upon all the influences which surrounded it in its earlier stages. Of these influences, probably, the geographical structure is the most potent. We owe to the founder of modern geography, Carl Ritter, the first systematic investigation in the direction of the relation of history to geography. Ritter's fundamental statement, though not given in his own words, may be stated as follows that each and every characteristic area of the Earth's surface has had a determining influence on the evolution of mankind. This statement presents us a working hypothesis for our study of this subject, the relation of history to geography, but it needs some very marked modifications and limitations in order to make it valuable as a means of searching for truth in history. First, there are marked differences in the influences of a characteristic territory or a specially defined form of surface structure on man in each stage of his development. For example, a particular structure may act as an obstruction to growth in one phase of man's evolution, while in another phase it would be of the greatest assistance. The savage aborigines of India probably deteriorated in a land which afterward presented great advantages to the invading Aryans. If those savages could have taken up bodily and put down on the vast steppes of Eurasia, they would have, in a forced nomadic life, taken a vigorous step in advance, while the Aryans, who 
who had had the education of the plains, took a mighty step forward in the refuge which the great mountain walls offered against the attack of their nomad enemies. A land of swamp and morass exercises one influence on the savage as a land of refuge. To the barbarian and civilized man, however, it is a land easily defended by ditches, canals, and dikes. It is of the first importance to know the degrees of development before we can have any understanding of the influence of the structure of the country. The second modification is in regard to the community life of the people or the ethnographic relations in tribes and nations. These relations of gens and tribes and fratries in the evolution of peoples are common to all mankind in whatever part of the globe. They have had a tendency to overcome and control to a certain extent the influences of structure. The Aryan race, for instance, whether they lived in the tropics or in cold Norway, had in their community life the same general tendencies, the same habits and customs, the same worship of ancestors, modified, it is true, to a degree by their environment of structure and climate. The third modification is probably the highest of all, and is that which has been foreshadowed in the ethnic relations of a people, that the human spirit in all lands, ages, and stages of growth from the beginning has had the same general tendencies, modified, it is true, greatly by structure and climate, but nevertheless overcoming to a degree all external influences. This is shown by the fact, although it is still under discussion, that collision, contact, and mutual influences of peoples with peoples have not been necessary to similar manifestations and common tendencies. It is also shown by the universality of like myths, of religious beliefs, fetishes, totems, and religious tendencies, common to the Eskimo and South Sea Islanders, and arts that bear strong resemblances that grew out of these common tendencies. With these great modifications of the fundamental principle of the influence of surface structure on the growing life of man, the knowledge of geography, that is, of surface structure, is absolutely indispensable to the study of history. The study of history, briefly stated, is the study of the growth and development of the spirit, or soul, of man from the beginning, the study of the individual, anthropology, the study of community life of man, ethnology, and with it, closely allied, is the study of the influence of surface structure, or geography, and its relation to that life. It is not my purpose to present a method for the study of geography in its relation to history, but rather to call attention to the general direction of this study. We may begin in broad lines and show the common relations of similar forms of structure, as, for instance, the influence of mountains, natural fortresses and enclosures, swamps and desert oases, as places of refuge for tribes and nations, after they have passed the lower phases of the development of the plains and steppes. The steppe or prairie was adapted to nomad life, a stage of evolution which may be considered as indispensable to human evolution. The periodic or scanty rains on the steppes made grass the principal means of nourishment. Nomad life on the steppes of Eurasia had far stronger influences on civilization than the prairies of America, for the old world had domesticated cattle, while the prairies were mere hunting grounds until river bends afforded protection to barbarians emerging from lower stages. From tract to tract, the nomad drove his cattle in order to gain sufficient nourishment, and in that life the attrition with other tribes, the struggle for existence, led to a higher stage. 
and the tilling of the soil and the building of the village began. The moment a barbarian discovered the art of agriculture and remained in one favorable place for a time, he took a long step in development, but, surrounded by wandering savages, he was at a great disadvantage. He was the prey of his savage brother, who burned his house and stole his cattle. This led him to seek for a place of refuge, and here we see the direct relation of natural fortresses, mountain fastnesses, the enclosures by deserts or swamplands to history. Thus we have India, a great naturally enclosed fortress, walled in by high mountains on the north, easily defended by passes on the west. We have Persia, Palestine, desert-enclosed Egypt, Greece, Italy, Spain, Great Britain, Norway, Mexico, and Peru. The Aryans of India, the Semites of Palestine, and the mound-builders of Mexico and the Incas of Peru no doubt fled from the open lands to the great structural fortresses of mountain and desert. Prolonged relief from continued or threatened war made civilization possible. Again, each natural fortress, by its structure and climate, determines to a great degree the special influences. The structure and climate of India present a marked contrast to those of Norway, in their influences on the same race. Egypt, in its valley unity, its unity of river source and silt distribution, led, we are told, to monarchy and monotheism. Greece, with its mountain-walled valleys, made polytheism a human necessity and founded democracy. The little strait that separates England from the continent determined the peculiar civilization of Great Britain. The shutting out of Russia from the practicable harbors and natural seaports hemmed in the civilization of that land. We have already spoken of the grassy plains. With regular rains, forests spring from the plains and make it possible for man to take higher steps in civilization. Wood and timber presented the necessity for tools. Forests were the means of both protection and progress. The vigor of the early stages of the Aryan race may be traced to the forests on the northern and western slopes of Europe. It can be said that a shut-up condition is absolutely necessary during one phase in the evolution of a nation. But the contact of a nation with other nations by friendly intercourse or war is as absolutely necessary in higher stages of growth. China, a pioneer in human civilization, owes its present state of fixed ideas to the isolation of vast deserts and mountain regions. The contact of Greece with the Roman Empire gave the tremendous influence of Grecian art, literature, and politics. True, the Romans conquered Greece, but, in a far higher sense, Greece conquered the whole world through her aggressors, for the invading Romans not only gathered the rich fruit of the little peninsula, but scattered its seeds over the whole civilized world. The plateau continent, Africa, is the most marked illustration of the influence of geography on human development. Rivers falling from highland to highland in cataracts make inland navigation exceedingly difficult, thus isolating her tribes from the outer world. It is a common inference that the higher the stage of civilization, the less dependent man is on surface structure. True, the path of progress is marked by overcoming and subduing physical obstructions, but that does not limit the developing influences of characteristic areas of surface. Utah, changed to a garden by man's invention and enterprise, exerts a far stronger influence than it did as a desert on the degraded savage. The savage hunted over Pennsylvania. 
totally ignorant of the riches that lay beneath his feet. The civilized man comes and uses the vast treasures to his own advantage, but in this change we do not say that he frees himself from nature. He simply uses natural products, uses environment for a higher stage of growth. The river valleys once marked the lines of migration of tribes and nations, of which the Danube is a notable instance. Under civilized man, the same river cuttings and natural excavations are made the new pathway of the civilized world, the railroad. The vast plain to a low stage of civilization is either a hunting ground or a pasture of cattle. In the higher stages, this plain becomes a place where civilized men from all nations and tribes under the sun can come together and live together, melt and fuse into one great nation. Different nations have gone through the wild, nomad life, the life of the fortress, and have reached a stage in which isolation means decay. The fortress life hems in the intellectual and moral life, and they step back to the plains of their ancestors to live together in one great nation on the grandly modeled continent of North America. These are only some of the phases in the interpretation of history in its relation to geography. There is a psychologic relation which is organically connected with the study of history. The Earth's surface is the home of man, and geography is the study of that home. A psychologic definition may be given as follows. The study of geography is the formation of an individual concept of the Earth's surface, gained either by observation or by imagination. That is, the study of geography is the formation of individual concepts corresponding to the Earth's surface as a whole or any of its parts. The Earth's surface, as the home of man, is the stage on which all human action has taken place. Not only does the structure interpret, to a great degree, the events in the evolution of man, but it is at the same time an indispensable factor in the retention or memorizing of historical facts. In other words, history can neither be understood nor remembered without a clear mental picture of the stage or the surface structure on which the historical events took place. The knowledge of surface structure is of the greatest economical importance to the study of history. In the usual way of studying history, events, the march of nations, wars, are not clearly localized and defined. Facts and events, schweben in der Luft, as the Germans say. They are only related by the vague web of time without any notion of differentiated space, and are therefore easily forgotten. We all know in early youth how a child spontaneously cultivates fancy and imagination. Geography is essentially, in its basis, the product of imagination, the imagining of surface characters. To illustrate, a clear mental picture can easily be acquired of the beautifully modeled peninsula of Greece, with its great northern defensive barrier of mountain maze, its midrib of the Pindus, its beautiful valleys, and its great walls of mountains. Here are the conditions for the autonomy of 17 states, and the necessary proximity for mutual influence and defense. The separation, as I have already said, produced polytheism and initiated democracy, the proximity, federal life. Now, a distinct picture of this beautiful peninsula, surrounded by its seas, is an easily acquired product of geography by real study. It must, however, be said in this connection that there is very little true geography, the geography of Ritter and Guillot, now taught in our schools. We must all admit that the most of the so-called geography now taught in the schools 
is a conglomerated mass and mess of disconnected and doubtful facts with little or no psychologic unity and very little practical use witness the failure of the best geography ever written the common school geography by guillot it is doubtful whether that splendid book ever paid for its maps real geography is not taught because teachers do not understand it and because they have very little or no means of studying it but to return to the main point in question how easy it is to develop by the imagination a clear concept of the peninsula of greece the main range of the pindus the spurs and the plateau of peloponnesus on this basis how easy and how delightful it is to follow the development of greece from the ages of the gods and heroes through its struggles to its highest reach of art and intellect we can see thermopylae and study with interest the memorable events connected with it we can study the marathon plain we can travel with the athletes to ellis we can picture the unwalled city of sparta this is only one example of the countless instances in which the memorizing of history would be made permanent effective and delightful the causes are studied the effects known and the pictures become more and more distinct geography is the study of the earth's surface as the home of man the influence of that home on man's growth and it is organically united psychologically related to memory geography the picturing of the divinely modeled earth is beautiful and inspiring in itself no art man ever produced equals in beauty and grandeur the sculptured earth but add to this intrinsic glory the function of the earth as the home of man a home that throughout the ages has been his home and school alike trace human history in all its stages by the light that the study of geography throws over it and we have a subject of extreme fascination in itself and of the highest use in education end of section 18 Recording by Karen.